0: Section twenty two of After Dark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. After Dark by Wilkie Collins The French Governess's Story of Sister Rose. Part Third, Chapter Two. Two days after the travelling carriage described by Lamarque had passed the diligence on the road to Paris, Madame Danville sat in the drawing room of an apartment in the Rue de Grenelle, handsomely dressed for driving out. After consulting a large gold watch that hung at her side, and finding that it wanted a quarter of an hour only to two o'clock, she rang her handbell, and said to the maid servant who answered the summons, I have five minutes to spare. Send Dubois here with my chocolate.' The old man made his appearance with great alacrity. After handing the cup of chocolate to his mistress, he ventured to use the privilege of talking, to which his long and faithful services entitled him, and paid the old lady a compliment. "'I am rejoiced to see Madame looking so young and in such good spirits this morning.' he said with a low bow and a mild deferential smile i think i have some reason for being in good spirits on the day when my son's marriage contract is to be signed said madame danville with a gracious nod of the head ha dubois i shall live yet to see him with a patent of nobility in his hand the mob has done its worst the end of this infamous revolution is not far off our order will have its turn again soon and then who will have such a chance at court as my son he is noble already through his mother he will then be noble also through his wife yes yes let that coarse-mannered passionate old soldier father of hers be as unnaturally republican as he pleases he has inherited a name which will help my son to a peerage the vicomte d'anville d with an apostrophe Dubois, you understand the vicomte d'anville how prettily it sounds charmingly madam charmingly ah this second marriage of my young masters begins under much better auspices than the first the remark was an unfortunate one. Madame d'Anville frowned portentously, and rose in a great hurry from her chair. "'Are your wits failing you, you old fool?' she exclaimed indignantly. "'What do you mean by referring to such a subject as that on this day of all others? "'You are always harping on those two wretched people who were guillotined.' "'as if you thought I could have saved their lives. "'Were you not present when my son and I met, "'after the time of the terror? "'Did you not hear my first words to him "'when he told me of the catastrophe? "'Were they not? "'Charles, I love you, "'but if I thought you had let those two unfortunates "'who risked themselves to save me die... WITHOUT RISKING YOUR LIFE IN RETURN TO SAVE THEM, I WOULD BREAK MY HEART RATHER THAN EVER LOOK AT YOU OR SPEAK TO YOU AGAIN. DID I NOT SAY THAT? AND DID HE NOT ANSWER? MOTHER, MY LIFE WAS RISKED FOR THEM. I PROVED MY DEVOTION BY EXPOSING MYSELF TO ARREST. I WAS IMPRISONED FOR MY EXERTIONS. AND THEN I COULD DO NO MORE. Did you not stand by and hear him give that answer, overwhelmed while he spoke by generous emotion? Do you not know that he really was imprisoned in the temple? Do you dare to think that we are to blame after that? I owe you much, Dubois. But if you are to take liberties with me, oh, madam— I beg pardon a thousand times. I was thoughtless, only thoughtless. Silence! Is my coach at the door? Very well. Get ready to accompany me. Your master will not have time to return here. He will meet me for the signing of the contract at General Bertelan's house at two precisely. Stop! Are there many people in the street? I can't be stared at by the mob as I go to my carriage. Dubois hobbled penitently to the window and looked out, while his mistress walked to the door. "'The street is almost empty, madam,' he said. "'Only a man with a woman on his arm, stopping and admiring your carriage. They seem like decent people, as well as I can tell without my spectacles.' Not mob, I should say, madam, certainly not mob. Very well. Attend me downstairs, and bring some loose silver with you, in case those two decent people should be fit objects for charity. No orders for the coachman, except that he is to go straight to the general's house. The party assembled at General Bertelin's, to witness the signature of the marriage contract, comprised besides the persons immediately interested in the ceremony of the day, some young ladies, friends of the bride, and a few officers, who had been comrades of her father's in past years. The guests were distributed rather unequally in two handsome apartments opening into each other. One called in the house the drawing-room, and the other the library. In the drawing-room were assembled the notary, with the contract ready, the bride, the young ladies, and the majority of General Bertelin's friends. In the library, the remainder of the military guests were amusing themselves at a billiard-table, until the signing of the contract should take place, while Donville and his future father-in-law walked up and down the room together, the first, listening absently, the last talking with all his accustomed energy and with more than his accustomed allowance of barrack-room expletives the general had taken it into his head to explain some of the clauses in the marriage contract to the bridegroom who though far better acquainted with their full scope and meaning than his father-in-law was obliged to listen for civility's sake while the old soldier was still in the midst of his long and confused harangue, a clock struck on the library mantelpiece. Two o'clock!' exclaimed Danville, glad of any pretext for interrupting the talk about the contract. Two o'clock, and my mother not here yet! What can be delaying her?' "'Nothing!' cried the General. "'When did you ever know a woman, punctual, my lad?' "'If we wait for your mother—and she's such a rabid aristocrat that she would never forgive us for not waiting—we shan't sign the contract yet this half-hour. Never mind. Let's go on with what we were talking about. Where the devil was I when that cursed clock struck and interrupted us?' "'Now then, black-eyes, what's the matter?' This last question was addressed to Mademoiselle Bertelin who at that moment hastily entered the library from the drawing-room. She was a tall and rather masculine-looking girl, with superb black eyes, dark hair growing low on her forehead, and something of her father's decision and bluntness in her manner of speaking. "'A stranger in the other room, Papa, who wants to see you. I suppose the servant showed him upstairs, thinking he was one of the guests.' ought i to have him shown down again a nice question how should i know wait till i have seen him miss and then i'll tell you with these words the general turned on his heel and went into the drawing-room his daughter would have followed him but danville caught her by the hand can you be hard-hearted enough to leave me here alone he asked "'What is to become of all my bosom friends in the next room, you selfish man, if I stop here with you?' retorted Mademoiselle, struggling to free herself. "'Call them in here,' said Danville gaily, making himself master of her other hand. She laughed and drew him away toward the drawing-room. "'Come,' she cried, "'and let all the ladies see what a tyrant I'm going to marry.' come and show them what an obstinate unreasonable wearisome her voice suddenly failed her she shuddered and turned faint danville's hand had in one instant grown as cold as death in hers the momentary touch of his fingers as she felt their grasp loosen struck some mysterious chill through her from head to foot she glanced round at him affrightedly and saw his eyes looking straight into the drawing-room they were fixed in a strange unwavering awful stare while from the rest of his face all expression all character all recognizable play and movement of feature had utterly gone it was a breathless lifeless mask a white blank with a cry of terror she looked where he seemed to be looking, and could see nothing but the stranger, standing in the middle of the drawing-room. Before she could ask a question, before she could speak even a single word, her father came to her, caught Donville by the arm, and pushed her roughly back into the library. "'Go there, and take the women with you,' he said in a quick, fierce whisper. "'Into the library,' he continued, turning to the ladies, and raising his voice. "'Into the library, all of you, along with my daughter.' The women, terrified by his manner, obeyed him in the greatest confusion. As they hurried past him into the library, he signed to the notary to follow, and then closed the door of communication between the two rooms. "'Stop where you are.' he cried, addressing the old officers, who had risen from their chairs. "'Stay! I insist on it. Whatever happens, Jacques Bertelin has done nothing to be ashamed of in the presence of his old friends and companions. "'You have seen the beginning. Now stay and see the end.' While he spoke, he walked into the middle of the room. He had never quitted his hold of Donville's arm step by step they advanced together to the place where trudaine was standing you have come into my house and asked me for my daughter in marriage and i have given her to you said the general addressing danville quietly you told me that your first wife and her brother were guillotined three years ago in the time of the terror and i believed you now look at that man look him straight in the face he has announced himself to me as the brother of your wife and he asserts that his sister is alive at this moment one of you two has deceived me which is it danville tried to speak but no sound passed his lips tried to wrench his arm from the grasp that was on it but could not stir the old soldier's steady hand. "'Are you afraid? Are you a coward? Can't you look him in the face?' asked the general, tightening his hold sternly. "'Stop! Stop!' interposed one of the old officers, coming forward. "'Give him time. This may be a case of strange accidental resemblance.' which would be enough under the circumstances to discompose any man. You will excuse me, citizen, he continued, turning to Trudaine, but you are a stranger. You have given us no proof of your identity. There is the proof, said Trudaine, pointing to Danville's face. Yes, yes, pursued the other. He looks pale and startled enough, certainly but i say again let us not be too hasty there are strange cases on record of accidental resemblances and this may be one of them as he repeated those words danville looked at him with a faint cringing gratitude stealing slowly over the blank terror of his face he bowed his head murmured something and gesticulated confusedly with the hand that he was free to use look cried the old officer look bertelin he denies the man's identity do you hear that said the general appealing to trudaine have you proofs to confute him if you have produce them instantly before the answer could be given the door leading into the drawing-room from the staircase was violently flung open, and Madame d'Anville, her hair in disorder, her face in its colourless terror, looking like the very counterpart of her son's, appeared on the threshold, with the old man Dubois and a group of amazed and startled servants behind her. "'For God's sake, don't sign! For God's sake, come away!' she cried i have seen your wife in the spirit or in the flesh i know not which but i have seen her charles charles as true as heaven is above us i have seen your wife you have seen her in the flesh living and breathing as you see her brother yonder said a firm quiet voice from among the servants on the landing outside let that man enter whoever he is cried the general lemarque passed madame danville on the threshold she trembled as he brushed by her then supporting herself by the wall followed him a few paces into the room she looked first at her son after that at ruden after that back again at her son Something in her presence silenced every one. There fell a sudden stillness over all the assembly, a stillness so deep that the eager, frightened whispering and sharp rustling of dresses among the women in the library became audible from the other side of the closed door. "'Charles!' she said, slowly advancing. "'Why do you look—' she stopped and fixed her eyes again on her son, more earnestly than before. Then turned them suddenly on Trudaine. "'You are looking at my son, sir,' she said, "'and I see contempt in your face. "'By what right do you insult a man "'whose grateful sense of his mother's obligations to you "'made him risk his life for the saving of yours and your sister's?' by what right have you kept the escape of my son's wife from death by the guillotine an escape which for all i know to the contrary his generous exertions were instrumental in effecting a secret from my son by what right i demand to know has your treacherous secrecy placed us in such a position as we now stand in before the master of this house an expression of sorrow and pity passed over Trudaine's face while she spoke. He retired a few steps, and gave her no answer. The general looked at him with eager curiosity, and dropping his hold of Danville's arm, seemed about to speak. But Lamarque stepped forward at the same time, and held up his hand to claim attention. "'I think I shall express the wishes of Citizen Trudaine," he said, addressing Madame d'Anville, "'if I recommend this lady not to press for too public an answer to her questions.' "'Pray! Who are you, sir, who take it on yourself to advise me?' She retorted haughtily. "'I have nothing to say to you, except that I repeat those questions.' and that I insist on their being answered. "'Who is this man?' asked the general, addressing Trudaine and pointing to Lamarque. "'A man unworthy of credit,' cried Donville, speaking audibly for the first time, and darting a look of deadly hatred at Lamarque. "'An agent of police under Robespierre and in that capacity capable of answering questions which refer to the transactions of robespierre's tribunals remarked the ex-chief agent with his old official self-possession true exclaimed the general the man is right let him be heard there is no help for it said Lamarque, looking at trudaine leave it to me IT IS FITTEST THAT I SHOULD SPEAK. I WAS PRESENT, HE CONTINUED IN A LOUDER VOICE, AT THE TRIAL OF CITIZEN TRUDEN AND HIS SISTER. THEY WERE BROUGHT TO THE BAR THROUGH THE DENUNCIATION OF CITIZEN D'ANVILLE. TILL THE CONFESSION OF THE MALE PRISONER EXPOSED THE FACT. I CAN ANSWER FOR D'ANVILLE'S NOT BEING AWARE OF THE REAL NATURE OF THE OFFENCES CHARGED AGAINST TRUDEN AND HIS SISTER when it became known that they had been secretly helping this lady to escape from france and when danville's own head was consequently in danger i myself heard him save it by a false assertion that he had been aware of trudaine's conspiracy from the first do you mean to say interrupted the general that he proclaimed himself in open court as having knowingly denounced the man who was on trial for saving his mother? I do, answered Lamarck. A murmur of horror and indignation rose from all the strangers present at that reply. The reports of the tribunal are existing to prove the truth of what I say, he went on as to the escape of citizen trudaine and the wife of d'anville from the guillotine it was the work of political circumstances which there are persons living to speak to if necessary and of a little stratagem of mine which need not be referred to now and last with reference to the concealment which followed the escape i beg to inform you that it was abandoned the moment we knew of what was going on here and that it was only persevered in up to this time as a natural measure of precaution on the part of citizen trudaine from a similar motive we now abstain from exposing his sister to the shock and the peril of being present here what man with an atom of feeling would risk letting her even look again on such a husband as that he glanced round him and pointed to Danville as he put the question. Before a word could be spoken by any one else in the room, a low, wailing cry of, My mistress, my dear, dear mistress, directed all eyes, first on the old man Dubois, then on Madame Danville. She had been leaning against the wall before Lamarck began to speak. "'but she stood perfectly upright now. "'She neither spoke nor moved. "'Not one of the light, gaudy ribbons "'flaunting on her disordered headdress "'so much as trembled. "'The old servant Dubois "'was crouched on his knees at her side, "'kissing her cold right hand, "'chafing it in his, "'reiterating his faint, mournful cry. "'Oh, my mistress!' MY DEAR, DEAR MISTRESS! But she did not appear to know that he was near her. It was only when her son advanced a step or two toward her that she seemed to awaken suddenly from that death-trance of mental pain. Then she slowly raised the hand that was free, and waved him back from her. He stopped in obedience to the gesture, and endeavoured to speak. SHE WAVED HER HAND AGAIN, AND THE DEATHLY STILLNESS OF HER FACE BEGAN TO GROW TROUBLED. HER LIPS MOVED A LITTLE. SHE SPOKE. OBLIGE ME, SIR, FOR THE LAST TIME, BY KEEPING SILENCE. YOU AND I HAVE HENCEFORTH NOTHING TO SAY TO EACH OTHER. I AM THE DAUGHTER OF A RACE OF NOBLES, AND THE WIDOW OF A MAN OF HONOR you are a traitor and a false witness a thing from which all true men and true women turn with contempt i renounce you publicly in the presence of these gentlemen i say it i have no son she turned her back on him and bowing to the other persons in the room WITH THE OLD FORMAL COURTESY OF BYGONE TIMES, WALKED SLOWLY AND STEADILY TO THE DOOR. STOPPING THERE, SHE LOOKED BACK, AND THEN THE ARTIFICIAL COURAGE OF THE MOMENT FAILED HER. WITH A FAINT, SUPPRESSED CRY, SHE CLUTCHED AT THE HAND OF THE OLD SERVANT, WHO STILL KEPT FAITHFULLY AT HER SIDE. HE CAUGHT HER IN HIS ARMS, AND HER HEAD SANK ON HIS SHOULDER help him cried the general to the servants near the door help him to take her into the next room the old man looked up suspiciously from his mistress to the persons who were assisting him to support her with a strange sudden jealousy he shook his hand at them home he cried she shall go home i will take care of her away you there nobody holds her head but dubois downstairs downstairs to her carriage she has nobody but me now and i say that she shall be taken home as the door closed general bertelin approached trudaine who had stood silent and apart from the time when lemarque first appeared in the drawing-room i wish to ask your pardon said the old soldier because i have wronged you by a moment of unjust suspicion FOR MY DAUGHTER'S SAKE, I BITTERLY REGRET THAT WE DID NOT SEE EACH OTHER LONG AGO. BUT I THANK YOU, NEVERTHELESS, FOR COMING HERE, EVEN AT THE eleventh HOUR." WHILE HE WAS SPEAKING, ONE OF HIS FRIENDS CAME UP, AND, TOUCHING HIM ON THE SHOULDER, SAID, "'Bertelin, is that scoundrel to be allowed to go?' THE GENERAL TURNED ON HIS HEEL DIRECTLY and beckoned contemptuously to D'Anville to follow him to the door. When they were well out of earshot, he spoke these words. "'You have been exposed as a villain by your brother-in-law, and renounced as a liar by your mother. They have done their duty by you, and now it only remains for me to do mine. When a man enters the house of another under false pretenses, and compromises the reputation of his daughter we old army men have a very expeditious way of making him answer for it it is just three o'clock now at five you will find me and one of my friends he stopped and looked round cautiously then whispered the rest in danville's ear threw open the door and pointed downstairs "'Our work here is done,' said Lomarque, laying his hand on Trudaine's arm. "'Let us give Danville time to get clear of the house, and then leave it to. "'My sister! Where is she?' asked Truden eagerly. "'Make your mind easy about her. I will tell you more when we get out.' "'You will excuse me, I know.' said general bertelin speaking to all the persons present with his hand on the library door if i leave you i have bad news to break to my daughter and private business after that to settle with a friend he saluted the company with his usual bluff nod of the head and entered the library a few minutes afterward trudaine and lemarque left the house "'You will find your sister waiting for you in our apartment at the hotel,' said the latter. "'She knows nothing—absolutely nothing—of what has passed.' "'But the recognition?' asked Trudaine, amazedly. "'His mother saw her. Surely she—I managed it so that she should be seen and should not see. "'Our former experience of Danville suggested to me the propriety of making the experiment.' and my old police-office practice came in useful in carrying it out. I saw the carriage standing at the door, and waited till the old lady came down. I walked your sister away as she got in, and walked her back again past the window as the carriage drove off. A moment did it, and it turned out as useful as I thought it would. Enough of that! go back now to your sister. Keep indoors till the night mail starts for Rouen. I have had two places taken for you on speculation. Go, resume possession of your house, and leave me here to transact the business which my employer has entrusted to me, and to see how matters end with Danville and his mother. I will make time somehow to come and bid you good-bye at Rouen though it should be only for a single day. Bah! No thanks. Give us your hand. I was ashamed to take it eight years ago. I can give it a hearty shake now. There is your way, here is mine. Leave me to my business in silks and satins, and go you back to your sister, and help her to pack up for the night mail. End of section twenty two